Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we examine two very underrated gemstones in that they're not often the most popular topics of discussion in the Christian church. Death and life. What we will see is that true life is so much more immensely valuable than what we've estimated by living in an affluent country in the 21st century. And death is something that's already been paid by Jesus. Thanks for joining us on this journey to uncover the true meaning of these spiritual truths from God's Word as we seek to live in the newness of a life centered around Jesus. One of the most favorite places that my wife loves to go to is Disney World. She loves it. Kids would love it at Disney World. I, for one, do not. It reminds me of standing in line at the DMV. That's what it reminds me of. But I do love it that they would be excited to go. And uh, I, I, We're not going, but if you were to imagine that we were, uh, you would have planned for months, right? That uh, there's all these activities, all these fun opportunities, all this imagination and creativity to be experienced. It would just be, it's a, literally a wonderland for children. They, I, they can't even conceive to, to comprehend all the fun that is there for them. How strange do you think it would be if we had been talking about going to Disneyland? We'd love to go to Disney World. We can't wait to go. And then the day comes where I say, guess what? We're going. And they reply, well, let's just stay here a little bit longer. I just want to stay home. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready to go. I don't know if I really want to go. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, that uh, one, of the, one of the problems in our world today is how we as Honestly, human beings uh, have failed to really capture some gemstones of truth from God's Word that refer to both death and life. Because, I mean, everybody's excited to go to heaven, right? I mean, we sing about it. We're, we're, um, we, we talk about what it must be like, our hope for our loved ones to see them again. But if it were to really kind of uh, be your day, I venture to say not many of us here would really want to go. And I think that's, that it's because we have missed some really crucial Christian truths that have to do with life and death. And so those are the gemstones this morning that we're going to look at, death and life. And um, I, I want to I prevent us from becoming a church that would just offer kind of lip service to God. Because it's real easy to sing about these things, but then not live them out. And we ought not be hypocrites like that. We ought to be willing to live out exactly what we believe and what, we, what, what comes from our lips. I mean, imagine if you, like when I was a child, I loved to go to grandma's. Going to grandma's was the best, right? What, what if we were to sing about going to grandma's, right? <laughs> when we all get to grandma's, when the day of rejo- right? Sing about going to grandma's. We're marching to grandma's. How about this one? In the sweet by and by, I will sit on my grandmother's porch, right? Imagine if we sang that and the day came where you said, guess what? You're going to grandma's. I don't know if I really want to go. Right? How, how foolish then to sing about that. Do you get where I'm going with this? How, how strange that the, the fruit of our lips would talk about this expectation to go, and yet we're filled with this trepidation and fear to know what God has really planned and what God has in store for us. Um, life and death in our world today are words that have been co-opted. So you hear phrases like, um, you know, sit, sitting out on the boat, catching a, a big bell. This is the life. You ever hear that before? This is the life, right? Or if you're really uh, someone who's boring or see someone who's boring, you say to them, get a, get a life, right? 
Um, our, our, our song artists have destroyed for us um, this word life as well because they focus on life only on the here and the now. There, there is no acceptance of a truth beyond what we can see and what we've experienced on earth. And so the celebration of life for many people is something that's only ever understood on this side of eternity. And yet that's not what the book you hold in your hand speaks about. There is something far, far greater that we need to give our attention to. Uh, death itself as well is one of those words that has been uh, misunderstood. Uh, we're taught to fear death. Even phrases like nothing's as permanent as the grave. The only guarantee in life is death and taxes. And I'm not trying to step on taxes, but let's be honest. Right? Uh, <clears throat> death is the end. right? Uh, until death does us part. Uh, dead as a doornail or as cold as the grave, right? And th- this is the language that we're, we're used to in this world. But God's word takes these two ideas and offers them to us in a new and a fresh way. So um, a- as we give our attention to these gemstones this morning, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Colossians chapter 3. Now, I'd like to ask if you would turn there with me. 1834. Page 1834 in the Pew Bibles, if you're searching for uh, the small letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He's writing to a people who are confused, who, like us, have been sold a bill of goods that is false. And uh, Paul's going to work to correct that. Now, I'm a little bit excited this morning because this passage we're looking at is one of just, it's not just a gemstone in the idea of these, these words we're looking at, but this passage is a gem. This one's, I'm just really excited to preach this one. So this, this is going to be good. Colossians 3, we're going to look at a couple observations and a couple applications. They are also printed for you in your sermon notes. All right, please follow along with me. Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, Paul uses this, these short four verses as a, as a hinge in his letter to the Colossians. He builds for the first two chapters upon the problem with which they're struggling in their culture. And we're going to look at that even uh, briefly. But then after this, in chapter 3, as he moves on, he starts to give some therefores. So if this is true then here's how you need to live. And, and I'm going to pump the brakes on that. We're actually not going to get further into chapter 3 to talk about the implications of this. All I want to do this morning is focus in on changing our perspective on these words. Look, either the Bible's true or it's not. Are we in agreement on that? Right? So what it says is either truth or, I mean, I don't know why you're here. So uh, what we want to do is pay attention to these words and make sure that we're understanding them, not according to our uh, preference, but exactly what the author meant for us to understand. So a few observations. Number one I want to give to you is this, that if you trust in Jesus, you are presently raised. If you trust in Jesus, and hopefully that characterizes all of the uh, authority of our hearts. It's, It's not about my will. I want to do his will. I am not my own. I have been purchased. I belong to Christ. If that's you this morning then you are presently raised, which is kind of bizarre. 
Because sometimes we don't feel that way. And sometimes life doesn't hit us with circumstances that reveal that to be true. But does the Bible say it? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. It does. So, so let's see if we can unpack this. This isn't the only place where the Apostle speaks in these terms. Uh, I want to give you a few other passages in Romans uh, the question is, shall we continue to live like we used to in sin? Should we just keep on good old days and loving the things we used to love? His answer in Romans 6 two is, by no means. You, you don't continue in sin because God's just going to forgive you. Let me ask you, is he going to forgive you, yes or no? Yes. That's got to be quick, hard yes, right? Uh, the merit of God's grace does not run out. Remember the verse that we studied a few weeks back? Where sin increased, grace increased more. Where sin increased, grace increases more. So God will always forgive you, but that's not a license to sin. That'd be, that'd be insane. That'd be foolish. Look at what, how he makes that point. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, theref- we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now that's making hopefully a little bit more sense to you. Being raised means you have been given a new life. Uh, Lisa and I did not uh, uh, put our heads together on her message, but that's the exact idea. That's exactly it. Uh, you, your old life, what you used to be, was rattered and tattered and worth pitching into the trash. Right? Uh, you might not be able to see some of the jeans she held up, but let me tell you, those were holy jeans. They, they, were, they were terrible looking. But what, what, did the, what did the master craftsman do with them? She, she undid them. She, she took them apart and she repurposed them so they have new life. That's what it means to be raised. There's another really good passage in Ephesians. He says these words. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You have a new life. Just as Jesus was raised, you have been given a new life. And this is true for the believer. When I was thinking about this, um, I thought of this game that I played when I was a kid. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit here. Who knows what, show of hands that you know what I'm talking about. All right. Show of hands, you have no clue what this is. Because I don't want, all right. Some of you are going to miss this. That's just the way it goes. This is Super Mario Brothers. And this came out when I was a kid. Now, my dad was kind of this uh, uh, good backwoods guy that wanted you to play basketball and baseball. And so we never had this, but my friends did. So I'd go over to my friend's house, and I'd play this game. And they were awesome. I mean, they're just flying through. And I would die right there every time. That little, what are they called? Goomba? Yeah, that guy would get me every time. I couldn't get by him. Um, To be raised to new life... You might think is when you, you go, and they give you a new life. You get a new life. That's not what it means. That's not what it means to be raised to new life because you can die again. There was something in this game, though, that kind of gave you a picture of it. Do you guys remember the star on this level? So if you've played this, if you're this little dude and you got that star, you became invincible. 
and nothing could touch you. Nothing could come. You, you, could, you could run straight through them little mushroom guys. Nothing would harm you. That's essentially what it means to be raised. You have been given a new life that can never be extinguished. It can never perish or spoil or fade. Now, we're going to see as we get into verse 3 that it's actually hidden. I don't want to rush ahead because some of it we don't necessarily see right now, which is why, folks, you've got to believe it to be true. It's in his word. So you need to believe it to be true. And in order for us to really get our bearings, I actually want to back up a little bit in Colossians. So turn back to chapter 2. Turn back just a little bit. I want you to read how in the same way that uh, Mario here was given the fullness of strength, right? Invincibility power. So that nothing could touch him. I want you to see how Paul characterizes the lead up to chapter 3. Look with me starting in verse 9. Colossians 2 starting in 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you, what's it say? He made you alive. That's, that's not a do-over. That's not starting again. That's invincibility, uh, power, fullness of God. If you missed it, it was down in verse 10. Did you see it? You have been given fullness in Christ. All right, so you've been made alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How many? All. Yeah, funny thing. The Greek word here for all means all. It does. So, so there, isn't, there isn't, well, God forgave me of some, but, you know, these were really bad. And, and he's never going to forgive me of... It's not it. He has forgiven you all, 100%. Having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, and this is a cool therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow Of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. Do you guys know what that means? I don't need to get preachy in false humility, right? Oh, do I? I, I'm I'm so humble. Oh, I'm so humble. Yeah, right. Right? These these are people who are acting. You know know what it is to act? Pretend? Do you know you can play church? I hope hope you're not playing church today. That's, That's not something that you can do. You need to be genuinely all out vulnerability. God, I am all yours, not I'm acting like it. That's what he's talking about here. False humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes on in great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Did you catch that one? If I win the star in the game, why am I afraid of the mushroom? 
Well, why am I still stumbling over the little fiery thing that can, I'm, I could get off the game? You get the point, though, right? Well, why would you continue if you have been made new? Why would you continue to live as though you were old? That's his question here. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. <laughs> Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value with restraining sensual indulgence. So, so you can play Christian, but it doesn't count. Right? You're still as dead as you once were without Christ. But if you have Christ, then you've been raised and you're presently raised. That's what this means. Secondly is this. If you, if you trust in Jesus, you need to dwell on Jesus and Jesus' country. If you trust in Jesus, you need to dwell on that. Go back in Colossians 3 with me, because you'll see he says, uh, since then, if you have a different version than NIV, it might say, therefore, some other versions say, if then. Um, What this means here is that it's a guarantee. It's a therefore that you've been raised. It's not maybe you've been raised. It's not, I, I can't tell if you've been raised. It's a Because you've been raised, it's a fact. He gives us this really important verb. Set your minds on the things where Christ is. And set your hearts on the things above. Your mind and your hearts. Did you catch that in verse 2 and 3? This word set is a really important one. It literally means to keep on giving serious consideration on something. To ponder on. To let one's mind dwell on. To keep thinking about. To fix one's attention on. When I, when I was a kid, <clears throat> uh, the best, most exciting day was Christmas Eve. Anybody else with me there? I mean, Christmas morning was coming around the corner, and whatever sugar plums were dancing in my head, I'll tell you one thing, I had a hard time falling asleep, because what was I dwelling on? Oh, all my presents, exactly, yes. I, I mean, as a, as a child, that's the foolishness with which, with which we think, but... Uh, That is the picture that I want you to hold to. This idea of that occupies my thought, that occupies my mind all the time. So I'm so excited about this. only thing I can think about is Christmas, which should be Jesus coming, right? Well, guess what, church? Jesus is coming. And your life, your true life, it's hidden with him. So why is your heart and your mind drawn on things here? I I have a a picture of this I want to try to share with you. I I found this rope. And this is a really amazing rope. Uh, it actually stretches to eternity. I don't know if you know that. It just keeps going around and around the world. And uh, if you were to try to put it into a truck and, and uh, take it somewhere, you just run out of room in your truck because it's, it's eternal, long, forever. Just goes on forever, like to the moon, and keeps going. Um, every inch of this rope, however, represents about 100 years. Every inch. And, and you know that this is your life? promised in Christ, that that your life will be eternal with Jesus Christ, that he will raise you from the dead to a new heaven and a new earth that will never end, will never perish, will never spoil. Um, I got about an inch of it here, though. Do you see what coloring this is? Now, in in the scope of eternity, you you tell me what you think about more. Do you think about this little bitty piece piece right here that occupies about the hundred years you have on earth, or do you think about this? 
Why is it that we're so preoccupied with this little part? I, I've set the entirety of my heart on this little part. I, I've set my mind on fixating on and thinking and dreaming about how I can achieve more on this little part. Do you see the absurdity of it? Yeah, your life in Jesus Christ runs on to eternity, has no end to it. Paul wants you to know that truth. The, the, the word here from the text is set your heart, set your mind, not on this, but on the rest of it. And that's what we need to learn to do better. Uh, these two words, heart and mind, speak about that which we think about and that which we love. So where is your affection? Where are the things that you desire? That's your heart. Do, do I really desire to go to grandma's? Do I, do I sing about it, right? Do I really desire? Because when that day comes, if I'm not ready to go, do you know what it might be? It might be that I'm looking at the wrong things. Instead of being excited to go where I've been promised to go. And outside of the illustration of, of going to grandma's, just because I loved that when I was a kid. If I'm not excited to go to be with Jesus, then I have not been paying attention to the promise he's given me. Instead, what am I looking at? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the things of earth. And look again at what the text says in verse 1. Set your hearts on things where? Above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things where? Above. Not on earthly things. So if you trust in Jesus, this is a really important verb. Dwell on these things. I know I, know I, need, I need this in my life more. I, I know you need this in your life more. That we would reframe how we think about the promises of God. And thus find ourselves not overcome with the, the failing, glittering, rusting, burnable material world. But that we have set our hearts on, and our minds on things that are unseen, that are eternal. I want you to know this is not an easy thing to do. That's why I'm preaching it, right? Because we've got to work on this. We need to hear it repeatedly. We need to hear it again. Number three is this. If you trust in Jesus, the old you has died. If you trust in Jesus, the old you is gone. Dead. Uh, he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Another great passage out of Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Do you know you have an old self? There's part of you that's, that's dead and gone. Now, how much of a dead person is dead? Oh, you guys are right on it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not just their foot's dead or their nose is dead. It, or, uh, you're dead, you're dead. That's how it works, right? And there isn't any part of them that's left. What does the Bible say here? Verse 3, you what? You died. That's what it says. We've got this, uh, we got this tree in our kind of, if you were to come over to our house, it's a, it's a tiny little like sapling tree, but it's in the kind of the flower garden that we, we put at the front of our house by the stairs. And I wanted to keep it because who knows, maybe it'll be a cool tree or maybe make fruit. I don't know. Um, my wife, however, hates this little tree. And so uh, the part of the reason is because it grows like this. 
it, 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 it grows right where we walk, and you're constantly putting it aside. So I, I clip off a little, the piece of it that's sticking out, clip it off. And guess what it would do? It, it, it just keep growing more. And so uh, probably two weeks ago, I... I shouldn't even be saying this, but I took the chainsaw. You don't need to take a chainsaw to a little, but I took the chainsaw and just clipped it off right at the dirt. And uh, yesterday I was on the phone on the porch and I looked over there and sure enough, there's these little, the thing's still growing. It's still, it's still what? Is it dead? still alive. I, I want to read for you a passage out of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, I'll have the words on the screen too. He says, uh, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones that you think wicked. The whole outfit. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. I love that. I, I, I love it because it speaks of the heart of our, our God. Uh, it will do you no good. Hear me now. God doesn't want Sunday morning from you. Just give me, give me some time. He doesn't want your tithe. He doesn't want so much money from you. What does he want? He wants all of you. A hundred percent. And uh, p- pruning, pruning the tree of your wickedness is simply going to produce new branches of wickedness. That's all it's going to be. So you know what God does? He allows you to die. All of you. And that's kind of what I need to do to that tree. You've got to pull it up right by the roots. And then it's done. It's gone. This is what the text says in verse 3. You died. That's what it says. You died. Uh, When something dies, it's not just a little part of them. It's the fullness of who they are. And if it would be as foolish as somebody who's got these ratty, ratty genes. And the master craftsman knows that I can make it into something new. And so you're like, all right, here, take the, take the, take the leg. And then you're walking around with, you still look worse. Right? Or take this little piece here and you're just a tattered mess. Still kind of cling, clinging to your old life, whatever that might be. God says, I want all of it. I want all of you because I'm going to turn it into something incredibly different and new and magnificent and the only way you get there is by dying so uh, number three here is if you trust in christ the old you has died it's gone it's gone say it's gone it's gone gone. all right number four is this if you trust in jesus your life is found in christ i love this one all right so you died so where are we now look back with me in verse three for you died and your life is now hidden with christ in god it's hidden. Uh, th- this word in uh, Paul's use, he, he, he chooses a particular Greek nuance for it. That's called the perfect tense. And when you use the perfect tense, it means that it's forever set. Can't change. So literally, this word hidden means ongoing and permanent. It remains hidden. It's untouchable. It's untouchable. I was trying to think of an illustration that describes this better. And all I could think of is uh, your money. Where's your money? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not on you. 
Well, I could show you on my phone. It's, it's, is it in your phone? Where is it? Yeah. Well, it's at the bank. And so you go, you go to the teller and you, and you say, um, how much money do I have? And they print out this little thing and it says, is the number. Well, is, is, that, is that it? Is, is, the, is, the, is the number it? Where is it? It exists somewhere, but it's, it's kind of hidden, right? I mean, do you have access to it? Yeah, you do, but it's not, it's not readily visible right now. I, I kind of think that's close to what this means. Uh, think of any loved ones that we have that have passed away. Where are they? Well, the, the true part of them is hidden where? Because you don't see them right now, so where are they? They're hidden in Christ with God, or with Christ in God. That, that's where they are hidden right now. And guess what? That's where your true life is as well. You, you have access to it right now, but you might not see it fully in the same way that we don't quite see our funds right in front. It's not like a pile of cash sitting on our table and I can see it all. Um, it's somewhere, but it's hidden. That's what this word means, but differently from our bank accounts in that it will never, uh, it never, it will never be touched. It's permanent, and that's how he uses the perfect tense here. Uh, this passage I find uh, very compelling in Philippians. Paul says, "For to me to live is Christ." So where is his life found? Jesus Christ. When I breathe, when I talk, when I walk, it's, it's because there's Christ living in me. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not Either Paul has lost his mind or he's telling us something that we need to understand. That death right now, physical death for you and I, has no consequence to the eternal state of your life. We just don't think like this. Remember, what is death? Well, it's, it's scary and it's permanent, not for the believer. The, the Word of God says that we grieve. We certainly grieve. Even God um, feels the sorrow that we have when we lose loved ones. But we don't grieve like the world grieves. Because all they have is what was on that part of the, the little red dot of the line. That's all they have. And so you got to cry your eyes out because it's over. But not for the Christian. For to me to live is Christ and to die, what's it say? Is gain. Paul wants us to reorient how we understand these words. He continues, right? I don't want to skip it. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor, right? Because that's what it means to live. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Better by far. I, I, I'm, it blows me away, you guys. I'm amazed by this. We have to rethink how we understand these words, life and death. The life that you have, if you believe in Jesus, the life that you have, you live in Christ. And it's hidden. It can never be touched. It can never be taken away. And so death for us is only an upgrade. That's all it means. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So if you trust in him, your life is now hidden. Lastly, if you trust in Jesus... Your promise is resurrection life with Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, your promise is resurrection life with Jesus. Look in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. What, what is that? When Jesus appears. What's that day? That, that's resurrection day. That, that, that's called the day of the Lord. That's the day we're waiting for. He will come again. When that happens, Paul says... Verse 4, then your life will appear. Uh, you will appear also with him in glory. So uh, he is our life. When he appears, then you will appear with him. 
in glory. A few verses on that, First John 3. Dear friends, uh, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This doesn't mean that you're going to be God. That's just foolishness. That's not what it means. It means that you will be resurrected with a new body. So you have a new spirit. You are alive, but the bodies we have are continuing to wear out. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, don't look at what's seen. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed. And so fix your eyes, not on that which is seen. How many of you in the mirror this morning before church? (laughs) Right? Look, don't fix your eyes on what is seen. We we ought to pay attention to the state of what's on the inside. Like, how, how is your spirit looking? Uh, no amount of mascara or makeup is going to change that because God alone will change it. And if you have not been torn out by the roots and died to your old self, you better call Maybelline or somebody because you need a, you're going to need a lot of makeup to fix your soul. But Jesus will give you a new life, and it's glorious. Uh, we shall we shall be like him. Romans six again, a, a good companion passage on this study is Romans six. I'd encourage you to study a little bit. But he says, "For if we've been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his." So here's the promise: If you trust in Jesus, your promise is resurrection life with Jesus. I have a few points of application, and, and these I have to just submit to you to ask God to help show you the answer. A few questions: Number one, Christianity is a serious. How serious are you about your faith? It's a serious issue. As serious as life and death. That's how serious this is. It it would be of the highest order of foolishness to think that coming to church was somehow accomplishing what God wants in your life. First of all, you... I gotta be careful here. I don't want to start another sermon, but you don't need to you don't need to come to church to please God. You come to church to worship God and to do so in community. If you think that you have to come to church to please God, you just stay home. And sometimes, you know what you can do? You can worship him from home, even. That would be fine in a legitimate sense. Why so why do we come then? We come because we need each other. That's why we come to fellowship and to encourage. As iron sharpens iron, we need one another. That's what church is about, but if you're not serious about it, then you fail to understand the message of the good news. Oh, you know, I, I go to church, but I'm not like a religious freak, you know, like some of those people. I mean, it's not like it's my whole life. Really? Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like things that we've heard? I, I'm not like some of those people. I go to church, though. I'm a good person. Yeah, but it's not like it's my whole life. Look, you got it wrong then. And i, I got to tell you that if that's you, here's what you have. Uh, if it's not your whole life, then this is what you get. I'm deadly serious here. This is all there is for you. If, if when you say that, uh, I go to church, but it ain't my whole life, there you go. This is what you've been given. And the decisions that you make on this side, they affect the rest of it. If you die to your old self, then eternity is yours. But if, if Jesus Christ is not your life, then this is all that you've got. This, this little bitty inch is yours. So uh, that's, that's the first thing I want you to think about. Uh, secondly, uh, what would need to be stripped away in your life so that you would long for Jesus above all? What would need to be stripped away? 
Uh, my dad suffered with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and it slowly took away all of the glory that my dad had. I remember, I remember going hunting with him uh, when he was just having it in his foot, and uh, he kind of had a, had a limp, and we were on the field, and at one point he tripped, and he was going down. And so he did a, a double little hop and then a tumble. I'll never forget that picture in my mind because I saw Superman fall that day. I mean, my dad was Superman. And that, that was hard to see. But you know what God's goodness can do? God's goodness can show you that in the stripping away of the things that we think are important in this life, we find there is another life to look forward to. I want you to know this has not always been a problem. The second question hasn't always been a problem in our world. It's a big problem in America. Because we have a lot of cool stuff. And, and, and I, I, I want to stick around here. And there's a lot of things to look forward to. Look, what would it take then? What would it take in your life to strip something away so that you would stop thinking about and dwelling on things of earth and start setting your heart and your mind on things above? Would it take losing uh, the, the use of your legs? Would it take losing uh, the use of your eyes, uh, your, your, your home, your possessions, your family? What would it be? That God would have to steal from you. Because it's all his anyway, so he's not stealing. It's all his. But for God to take away from your life so that you would begin to look to the true life. That's a, that's a tough question. It's only one that I believe that you can answer. Um, there's another passage I want to read you out of C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's a beautiful one here. Again, I have it on the screen. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, that's heaven. Unblushing promises of reward. And the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea? We are far too easily pleased. I like to sit in my deer blind. I like to go fishing. I like to, whatever it is you have on earth, you're far too easily pleased if you think this is as good as it gets. It's like my kids sitting in front of the TV. We got the Disney Channel. Why do I need to go to Disney World? You, you don't even understand. You've missed it. You're far too easily pleased. We need to strip away those things. We need to look to Jesus above all. Uh, question number three, can you identify your old self? That's a, good, that's a good question. Can you identify the part of you that is old, that has died? It may show up from time to time, and that's because you still have a, a, a fallen nature. You still have a flesh that needs redemption. So I don't want you to think that, well, maybe I'm not saved. But listen, if you can't identify an old self, then maybe you're not saved. If there is no distinction between old and Christ, you see me after the service. We have a different conversation to have. Every one of us, though, who know Jesus Christ, we need to be able to identify that. And therefore, recognize our uh, estrangement to it. I'm, I'm not like that anymore. I don't live like that. Number four, how would you answer Paul's conviction? How would you answer that? For to me, to live is Christ. What, what, how is that true in your life? What does that mean for you? I, I, I love that one. That ought to be a homework question. Turn your papers in next Sunday. Then. <laughs> How would you answer the question, for to me to live is Christ? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's true for you. Lastly, is there anything that keeps you from looking and longing for Christ to return? 
Is there anything that keeps you from looking and longing for Christ to return? Um, I want to quote uh, modern-day theologian and philosopher Kenny Chesney. <laughs> this is one of his hit songs, and I think he puts the pulse on the, the way the world looks at it. Um, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? He says, Preacher told me last Sunday morning, Son, you better start living right. You need to quit the women and the whiskey and the carrying on all night. Don't you want to hear them call your name when you're standing at the pearly gates? I told the preacher, Yes, I do, but I hope they don't call today. I ain't ready. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Have a mansion high in the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Said the preacher, Maybe you didn't. Uh, said to the preacher, maybe you didn't see me throw an extra 20 in the plate. Give me a break. <laughs> There's one for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Here's a tenor to help you remember. Next time you got the good Lord's ear, say I'm coming, but there ain't no hurry. I'm having fun down here. Don't you know that everybody wants to go to heaven? Get their wings and fly around. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Is he speaking truth? Isn't that true in our lives? It's because we've missed the understanding of life and death. We've missed the message of the gospel. Paul's got words to say to him. And I submit to you it's the same problem that it would be with my kids. If they're not excited about going when it's time to go. If that's not a true reality in their life because they've been focusing on this and not on that, the remedy for it is right here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And